good, all that is sacred, and in the warm and loving energy of this community, Spiritual Life Center. If you're joining us for the first time, we especially want to welcome you because we know that you are not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. Thank you for joining us on your unique path today, and we hope you enjoy this special message from this past Sunday's service. interesting morning. Uh, Paula just came back from vacation, and thank you for coming back. I could be on a beach right now. <laughs> and so one, one of our vocalists had to drop out midweek, and then the other one this morning, and so I came in, and Paula was rearranging, finding different music to just be instrumental, and she figured that out, and then two uh, members, uh, Joella and Sandra, said that they would come up and help sing, and so they came up at the very last minute, so we had some help with the, with the chant and, you know, the group song and everything, and then Carol just sort of popped out of wherever Carol pops out of and said, I'll come for the 11 o'clock service, so Paula rearranged music again, <laughs> but you know why? What? I mean, all of that co-creation, ladies and gentlemen, that's what SLC is about. So it's a slow day at the pearly gates. St. Peter is kicked back, reading his favorite magazine, the newest issue called Halos and Harps. Nobody on the schedule. And then two souls appear. He's like, hello, why are you here? There's no one supposed to be here. Well, we're here. And he looks, and he looks, and he says, neither one of you are supposed to be here. It's too early. And the souls are <laughs> like, well, I don't know what to do. This is my first time, you know. And so, you know, he, he calls upstairs, and he has this conversation. And then he comes back, and he said, well, <sighs> somehow you were taken by mistake. So we can send you back. But... Your bodies aren't available anymore. So we're going to give you a choice. You can go back as anything that you want. So he looks at the first soul, and the first soul says, you know, I always really needed some freedom in my life, and I admire, I admire wildlife. I would like to go back and eagle and soar again across the mountains and feel free for the rest of my life. And St. Peter says, okay, he's gone. He looks at the other soul, and the other soul looks at him and says, you know what? I was never really successful with women. I think I want to go back, and I want to be a stud. <laughs> Waves his hand, and off, off, off they go. So a few, I don't know, months or weeks, I don't know how time works in heaven. A while later, St. <laughs> Peter gets called into the office, and God says, so how's it going with those two that we sent back? And St. Peter says, well, the first one is doing really well. They're just having a blast. They, they're just soaring over mountains, and they're helping, you know, uh, increase the population, and it's wonderful. 
And God says, well, what about the other one? Well, that's not going so well. And God says, well, why not? He says, well, he's on a snow tire in Alaska. <laughs> no, okay, so that, <laughs> that man's prayer didn't fail, right? But it, perhaps he didn't think it through very well either. Eric, <laughs> shall we just sit and laugh for a minute? Okay. Eric Butterworth wrote that prayer is deeply misunderstood because it's looked upon what he calls a court of last resort. It's used to get an external judgmental parental God to jump in and fix everything to be just the way you want it to be. And when that doesn't happen, God gets a one-star review. Or maybe, like, I would give it no stars, but that's not an option. And the futility of such an approach is clearly seen in the sports arena. You have two teams. Supporters are praying for each team to win. And you may wonder, what criteria does God use to decide which team will win? By the quality of the play? By God's preference for the uniforms? Or perhaps God will judge the supporters so that the team with the most sin-free supporters will win. <laughs> I mean, that sounds absurd, but it's the only logical conclusion if you are looking to the outside, you know, an outside source for your support. The winner of a sports contest will win because of their skill and the level of their consciousness. And if a team has low self-esteem and they have doubts about their ability, chances are they won't win. And I'm guessing that sports teams spend a lot of money on psychologists and other support people for a reason. The key to real prayer, to co-creating your life, comes from knowing that we are creations of infinite intelligence, which we sometimes call God. It's not an external force acting upon us, but the energy of infinite possibilities working within us. And it is always working for us if we let it. Or more precisely, when we become aware and learn to call on and use our innate ability to guide our lives. The kind of prayer that Butterworth talks about is the kind where you turn your thoughts to the good in something. And yeah, it's really easy to make this sound Pollyanna and unrealistic, but I su suspect that everybody in this room has had some situation where you got caught up in the circumstance, and then for some reason, something changed your perspective, and you saw it in a new light. And like Emily Latello from the Saturday Night Live, you'd say, well, that's different. We get caught up in events. We pile so many thoughts that they seem real, they seem solid, they seem unmovable. And when we focus on the problem, that's all that we can see. And in a very real way, we become a part of the problem. Not because we are bad or intending to be part of the problem, but because, as Charles Hanel said, a part must be in the same, the same in kind as the whole. The only difference is a matter of degree. And as an example, he offers water. It manifests as ice, steam, and water, as a liquid. They're all 
part of the whole, but there's a difference in degree. And we use, the, we use water in its different forms for different things. It's the same thing. This means that you are always part of a situation. It's how you identify with it and foster it that makes the difference. When we face something and get caught up in the drama and run around talking about it to everyone we can find, we are operating from the perspective of the problem. We'll write a whole story about it and pile up those thoughts into what seems real and solid and unmovable. Now, why does this happen? Partly is because we live in an ain't it awful culture. And we are, most of us, addicted to drama at one level or another. Although I think all humans are addicted to drama. And sometimes it's just easier to kind of go with what we consider the flow of worry and fretting. But mostly, it's because underneath all that other stuff lies fear. And fear can freeze us. It can just stop us in our tracks. Fear comes because we feel like we're out of control. Or we remember another time this, this happened, and we remember what happened then, and we're afraid it's going to happen again. It'll go the same way. Or maybe we're those people who believe that we should always prepare for the worst, and we're ready, so that makes us ready for anything. But honestly, all that does is create more fear. Now, some people call fear the enemy, and I've seen it written with a capital E. But I don't like to think that way because I think it gives fear too much power. Fear comes in when I forget who I am, when I forget that infinite intelligence is living and moving in and through me. But when we get off balance and fear sets in, we make up a story about what is happening and why and how it's going to go, and we just keep going and 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 and. We tell everybody. Now, it would be really easy for me to stand here and say, Simply remember who you are, don't let it get to you, stop telling your stories. <laughs> but that would be unfair and silly because we live by a story, by our thoughts, our words, our actions. What we need to do is be aware that our stories are a direct reflection of our vibration, and our vibration is a direct reflection of our stories. Cannot separate them. So real prayer is simply changing perspective and coming at a situation from the consciousness of possibility, the consciousness of infinite intelligence. But how do we do that? The life and ministry of Jesus shows us many examples of how to operate from God consciousness. Now, I looked this up before I decided to put this in here, but there are no accounts of Jesus sitting down with a person with a cup of tea crossing his legs and saying, okay, tell me all about it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then what did your mother-in-law say? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Tell me more. There's no, no conversation like that with Jesus in the Bible. Jesus said things like, do you want to be healed? And when the answer was yes, done. The woman who touched his hem, he said, your faith has made you well. And he said this to more than one person. And when someone came to him and told him that a, another man's daughter had died, Jesus said, do not fear, only believe, and she will be healed. 
And then yet there was another man because the men were always bringing their sons to Jesus to be healed. But that's another conversation. Anyway, if <laughs> another man brought his son to Jesus to be healed and he walked up to Jesus and said, if you're able. And Jesus said, if you're able, all things can be done for one who believes. And the man then said, I believe, help my unbelief. That man changed his perspective. Maybe not all at once, and maybe not completely, but enough for him to see the possibility and accept that his son could be healed. And his son was healed. Now, I said before that the real key to prayer, to co-creating your life, comes from knowing that we are creations of infinite intelligence, God. It's not an external force acting upon us, but the energy of infinite possibilities working within us. I don't think I can say that enough times. We are always working from inside the situation, and we cannot become separate, but we can turn around and look in a different direction. Jesus was really good at getting people to see things from a different angle. In the last example of the man who asked if Jesus was able to heal his son, we see that that man had a story that it might not be possible. He had doubt. But Jesus had a different version of that same story. And upon hearing it, that man was able to change his perspective. And he started looking at it from the solution as opposed from the problem. So what things can we do to become more effective into seeing the possible? When we recognize the power in our stories, we're more than halfway there. No matter what's going on, if you take time to listen to yourself, you may notice that you are deeply into solving a problem from the perspective of the problem. Now, please note that I am not saying to pretend like the thing isn't happening. It's happening. But if you can learn to see it differently, that's the point. Also, sitting down and talking with someone else can be helpful. Oh, wait, didn't I just spend five minutes telling you to stop running around telling people things? <laughs> I did. The key word here is everyone. That running around and telling your story to anybody who will listen. But it can be a very good practice to find one or two people that you trust to support you. And I don't mean to tell you that you're right. I remember many years ago, I was probably in my 30s, and I, something had happened at work, and I was going to drive, drive home, and I was going to call my friend, and I was going to talk about it. And I picked up the phone, and it was the olden days, and so I was punching in the numbers, and I had about half the numbers in it, and I started to laugh because I realized I was not calling her for perspective. I was calling her to have her tell me I was right. And so with that realization, when I finally got my friend on the phone, it was a very different conversation that it would have been if I hadn't had that realization. So this isn't about finding someone to tell you you're right. It's about someone to help you look at your story and see if there's another way to look at it. The goal is to shift your vision to what is possible, what can be. When you get that story out from in front of you, it's easier to see what, what you can do with the situation. So sure, tell your story, but only to one or two people, and then stop. You may have noticed that when you ask a prayer chaplain or a minister to pray with you, 
They don't engage in a detailed conversation about what's going on. And even if you kind of try and start to go that direction, they gently begin to pray by tuning into infinite intelligence and affirming that the perfect solution is here now. Because when you pray from the perspective of the solution, the details, honestly, are irrelevant. The details put you back squarely in the middle of the problem. Now, some of you may have noticed also that after someone has prayed with you or done some spiritual counseling, we will never approach you and ask you how that thing is going. And that's because we have that, that someone who's worked with you has activated infinite intelligence for all involved in the situation. And then they let it go. Someone has helped you step out of the vortex of doom and shown you another way to approach a situation. And then they let it go, and they do not revisit it. It doesn't mean that you might not need to pray for something more than one time, because it takes us a while to shift our consciousness. But the telling of the story stops. And we also, none of us, ever makes a promise that the situation will change. We don't sell the idea that the outside world will, will change to suit us. And we cannot, I am so sorry to tell you this, we cannot change other people, no matter how much we might want to. <laughs> we can only change our perspective. And then that, in turn, can change how we respond to a person. Back in the uh, early 1980s, I was living in Salt Lake City, and I was involved minimally in a, um, a unity church there. And there was another woman who was, I think, a little bit younger than me, and there was something about our energies. If we were in the same room, it just, we didn't even have to talk to each other. But if we said hello to each other, one of, hello, one of us was offended and had to go stomping off. <laughs> And so I decided that the, my best option on that was to just simply not engage. And I, you know, if I saw her, I would like wave, and, but I just, I withdrew from it because I didn't know what else to do. Well, how many people remember EST? Earhart Air, training? Okay, it, 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 was a, it was a training seminar that people went through, and it probably still exists, but it was pretty brutal. Uh, but a lot of people in Salt Lake City were going through it. Well, this woman went through that program. And one day, I walked in, and she was there, and there was nothing, I mean, I just there, so I greeted her, and we had this lovely conversation. And I'm like, okay. And she turned around to somebody, and she said, Deborah has changed so much. <laughs> I had done nothing but step back and allow it to be and decide I wasn't going to engage. That's the only thing that I, I did. But she had some sort of shift, and she saw me completely differently. And no, we didn't become best friends, but we learned to work together. And that was, you know, that, that was good enough for me. Does it take some work to learn to, see, to start seeing things from the, uh, from the solution instead of the problem? Sure. And especially if you're feeling overwhelmed by something big or even something little. Sometimes it's the little things that really get to us. 
It takes that stepping back, taking a breath, and looking at what, how you're reacting. And so some ways to help move in that direction. Remember that God, infinite intelligence, is always and everywhere present. There is nothing that isn't that intelligence, the air, the everything. You're sitting on, you're sitting on infinite intelligence. Everything is that. It's like when you go to a faucet to get a glass of water, you don't pray for water. You don't need to beg, cajole, or bribe the water to come out of the pipes. All you have to do is turn, on the, hand, turn the handle and the water flows. Divine energy, God, is constantly flowing. You don't even need to turn it on. You simply need to step into the stream and allow it to guide you. All you need to do is say yes. If you're carrying around a bundle of ain't it awfuls, your hands are full, your mind is full. And it becomes so big, you can't see around it. And so you stumble, and then things start to escalate. But when you put that bundle down, all of a sudden your arms are free, and you can see ahead of you. And what is ahead of you are possibilities, some of which you can imagine, but others that are so amazing that you never would have thought of them. How should we pray then? Eric Butterworth recommends that we put an end to prayer. By that, he means to turn away from begging, cajoling, and looking outside ourselves for answers and embrace our wholeness. He says that the most effective prayer treatment is to get the mind stayed, tuned in, and then make an end to prayer by simply saying and accepting, let there be health, let there be substance, let there be harmony in place of discord, joy in place of sorrow, courage in place of fear. Stop trying, stop wishing. Instead, accept your own infinite intelligence and accept by saying the most effective prayer, the one that can not ever fail you, and that is, let there be. And so it is. We are grateful for the opportunity to share with you today and hope you've taken something from this Sunday's message. If you'd like to hear more from Spiritual Life Center, be sure to click subscribe on the podcast platform you're listening from. You can find out more about our community on our website at www.slcworld.org. We look forward to being a part of your continued spiritual journey. Wherever you are, God is, and all is well. Spiritual Life Center